the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 323. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Dr. Michelle Dickinson. And I'm Joe Davis. Well, welcome along to the show, both of you. Thanks for having us. Hello. Now, Michelle, maybe you can just remind listeners, in case they're, they're not um, up with the play, and we fit into this world of, of science and technology oh, in New Zealand. Yeah, okay. So I come in every so often on, on the podcast along here, tech podcast specifically. I'm a nanotechnologist, fascinated with tech, like to make and break things, um, especially when they're not my own, regarding the breaking stuff. <laughs> um, and always just trying to keep up to date with what's going on in the tech industry, what, what future things are coming out and what we should be ready for. Great. And Joe? Well, I run NanoGirl Labs with Michelle, so we focus on uh, a lot of emerging tech and developing some of our own. Uh, a big part of my work is consulting with companies on how the latest in technology is going to impact their business model. So it's a, it's a world I focus on. That's yeah. great. Well, let's jump straight into the news of the week. There's, I guess, a bit of a mix of things happening locally, and then we've got the big news from uh, Mobile World Congress that at this time of year there tend to be lots and lots of announcements. So we'll dive in, have a little bit of a chat about some of those. Uh, some of those we, we, we may also, uh, um, I guess, dwell on over the next few days for next week's episode as well, but I think there's, there's, there's a few interesting bits and pieces there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Tesla uh, who launched in New Zealand last week. Uh, SpaceX heading off to the moon. Uh, new robot from Boston Dynamics. And as I say, some local things as well. So let's jump straight in. Uh, Sky and Vodafone, their uh, merger last week was blocked by the Commerce Commission. Now, this was quite curious because I think there was there was quite a few people were leaning in the direction that the Commerce Commission were going to give this the tick. And it was going to go ahead. Uh, Spark had initially, when when told about the um, the news of this uh, right at the beginning, there was a commentary saying, "Oh, yeah, that's fine. We'll uh, you know we look forward to competing with them." Um, and of course, they changed their tune uh, a little bit there along the way. But uh, ultimately, that's been blocked. And uh, John Follett, who's the uh, the CEO at Sky is saying that if they try and appeal this and, and work through it, it could take uh, could take about a year uh, for them to actually work through that process. Any thoughts on this one, Joe? Look, I, I would say I think you could make a cogent argument either side of this decision, but by and large, I think that uh, Mark Berry at the ComCom Commerce Commission has actually acted, I think, pretty well. I think they've done their job. I think they've looked out for the best interests of the New Zealand consumer here. Um, there was a clear test. They had to be convinced that it wouldn't substantially reduce competitiveness in the New Zealand marketplace. Um, they were very clear on what the question was to answer, and, and obviously Vodafone and Sky have failed to answer that. So I think by and large, you, you could definitely make a case either way on this, but by and large, I think a fair decision for the Kiwi consumer. I think it's interesting now to look at what Sky is going to do. I think Sky just has this really challenging business model. And, and and I don't know anybody who subscribes to Sky anymore unless they're mad sports nuts. And they, you know, it's really interesting to see how the way that we consume media, the way we purchase media and this on-demand stuff is, is changing things. And so I think Sky is going to be an interesting business case to watch. And sadly, maybe something that we all learn from in history is, you know, what happens when you're on what seems to be a sinking ship right now? It does very much look that way. And I think for a, a lot of the audience of the New Zealand Tech Podcast who are uh, you know, 
pretty much up with the play on on where things are heading and uh, and uh, often very early adopters of of new technologies i would say we have probably quite a different skew uh, to the general public in terms of how you know what percentage of people are are subscribed definitely seems as though you know the sport is kind of the the, the key linchpin bit and the commerce commission uh, highlighted that i think the the big problem here yeah, when you look at it, Sky, Vodafone's perspective, Vodafone have got other things they can do. Mm-hmm. They have been uh, getting involved in the pay TV world and internationally, although mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago in the UK, uh, they made the announcement that they're pulling back from trying to launch pay TV services there. They hadn't managed to get the uh, content agreements that they had been looking for, which had effectively scuttled it. And that was uh, something that they had, they had announced when they moved into providing... Uh, fixed internet services, I think going back about two two years that they would get into fixed services, which of course Vodafone did you know much much earlier here in in New Zealand with the acquisition of iHug uh, many years ago um, so there's there's a uk where they're they're uh, deciding not to progress and not at this time other markets i think Port- like Portugal uh, where they are heavily in, in, involved um, but I think it's it's Sky that's really under the gun here, as you've mentioned, Michelle, and I think they've just been moving way too slow. Mm. Uh, you know, I think they've have had some real issues from a strategy perspective, and they should be so much further ahead from a technology standpoint from from where they are. I mean, it seems natural to probably all of us that you, there should just be an app on every device for Sky. They're such a dominant player in New Zealand. They've still got something like 50% market share, yeah. and yet they've they've just got a service that seems broken in terms of accessibility uh, across the internet, which if you're not delivering that way, then, um, yeah, you, you, you're kind of going to be stuck if, if it's not sorted out very, very quickly, I would think. Look, I think from a governance perspective, the, like the board of Sky must have some really interesting meetings at the moment because there'll be commercial constraints that are stopping them moving as fast as I'm sure they know they they need to. But they're a big company with a lot of infrastructure uh, and a lot of existing customer demands, a declining number, but still a lot of existing customer demands to meet. Uh, look, I, I think the ComCom decision here follows where the consumer goes. We want content in our pockets. We want to watch what we want when it comes. This was a great conquest opportunity for Vodafone, like the rollout of fiber kind of alongside the opportunity to say, hey, we've got the All Blacks uh, and bring customers across conquest from Spark and, and, and the other players in the market. Look, if you were Vodafone, this was a great sort of customer acquisition moment. Um, they've missed that. I, I, look, again, you can make arguments both ways, but I think this is following consumer trends pretty clearly. Hmm. Yeah. Now, hot on the hot on the heels of uh, Spark getting getting a chance for there to be sort of a, a stay, should this uh, the merger have been approved, which of course it wasn't. Uh, Monday, Spark announced that they're offering Netflix free for a year with people signing up for uh, for two years. Now, I had had uh, a call from the Herald around this yesterday, and. I guess, uh, and I hadn't seen a press release of very little information, and but ultimately, I don't think there is a huge amount of information about this. It's, it's, I guess, probably concerning for those who are working on on Lightbox uh, within Spark. Uh, they are probably wondering, oh, what what does this actually uh, mean? Um, but I wouldn't be too. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to how to draw the line there. But the fact that Spark are, are now offering uh, subscribers 
their own product in Lightbox plus Netflix is a, is a little bit unusual. But I think that they've got to aim for whatever is going to allow them to win market I think it share. is. But if I think we've been quite isolated here in New Zealand. If you look at the US, for example, you've got lots of different platforms with on-demand. And so, you know, having Netflix and Lightbox, which do have different programs on, just means that you get to watch what you want to watch. Um, you see that now with what Amazon's doing in the US and Netflix. And there are many different competitors out there. So I think that, you know, while Vodafone and Sky were down, Spark just gave them a bit of a kick with it. Oh, well, you know what? We're off all this great stuff and this is for free and we know that you like lots of content so let us offer you more they're offering it as part of their unlimited fiber and so you're not going to have the constraints you can watch what you like and i think it's just a nice sort of freebie that you throw in to attract more customers and maybe entice those from vodafone over the other side look i i agree generally i think it's a it's just good marketing to to sort of add, add an extra piece of value to the customer. Look, I take your point, though. I think if you if you were part of that Lightbox team, you'd be watching pretty closely to see if this had any broader implication. But uh, for the moment, I think it's just a you know an, a compelling reason to join Spark. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've had actually really good offers from most of the telcos in recent months. It's, it's actually been crazy competitive. Uh, I think on a 24-month term, most of them are basically giving you about three months for free and one, mm-hmm. you know, they slice it and dice it in different ways. Um, you know, my brother signed up for Spark UFB recently, 24-month, and I think it was, yeah, th- basically $300 free. So when you when you look at this new offering, it's it's putting Netflix name with spark and they get some attention for that but in the on my quick look at it anyway it didn't actually seem to be offering any more value than the uh, the discounts that have been offered in recent months anyway in no, fact, maybe, maybe slightly worse yeah. uh, but and vodafone did this a couple of years ago they offered netflix for free so this just seems to be you know attach a big brand name to and with association and they've both done this now and it'll get people in and that's what you want you want customers to sign up for 24 months you've got those long-term things so good on spark and it's great for consumers, right, that we keep getting uh, nice offerings, what it, what it means to the pro- profitability of all our internet providers in New Zealand. Um, I think it's probably a pretty challenging space to be in. But it's nice uh, to see some moment. competition in the market. Having, you know, I lived in the US for a long time and there was always competition. I, you know, even when I lived in the UK, when I moved to New Zealand, I was like, why is everything so expensive? And I think finally we're starting to sort of bring those prices back down and be a bit more like the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, one thing that we have seen uh, just cropping up in the US again, and I know this, uh, there's been similar in the UK, is the idea of uh, mobile broadband plans that are unlimited on your on your smartphone. And it seems like just about all the carriers now have got back into uh, offering unlimited plans that they 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 did do in the past, but we've now seen that sort of thing uh, crop up. Uh, again, afresh. It seems to just be in the last in the last few weeks. Uh, AT and T came in with one offering a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't very good, and now they've jumped in with something that's uh, that's a bit more competitive. Um, and I guess I mean here in New Zealand, we seem to have very good mobile broadband speeds overall. Uh, I'd be curious what would happen if uh, if everyone started getting offered uh, unlimited plans. But in my view, that's yeah, putting unlimited on uh, on mobile is going to have a, a downward impact on performance 
but it is a way of the telcos getting a little bit more money back in their in their pockets because some of those plans in the US aren't actually particularly cheap when we compare them to what most people get away with uh, in New Zealand, right? So when I lived in the US, I had an unlimited plan. I just What was nice is I didn't have to think about how I was using my phone. I don't use lots of content, but I didn't have to worry about it. In New Zealand, I'm often running out of data, and it's so frustrating. It was a big step for me to move here and be like, oh, I have to check my data plan, and I have to top up and buy some. It's just, I want to use it like I want to use it. You just tell me. I mean, they have the data. They know how much I'm using a month. I wish there were plans that could adapt and adjust to what I need. And you can call it unlimited or whatever you need but actually I just want to feel like I'm getting value for money and I'm not hassled at the end of the month because I've got three days left before the end and I now have to figure out how I'm going to you know hide at the local Wi-Fi spot and try and download <laughs> the thing that I need or pay for a for a pocket of mobile data that I'm not sure I'm going to use or not. I'm all for unlimited. I don't think we necessarily use more, much more data because it's unlimited, but I think it gives the customer freedom to feel like they can use their devices in the way that they need them at the time. Look, I'd say when you were living in the US, did you have Netflix on your phone? Because I know that my browsing habits, if I'm, you know, it would definitely change in terms of the amount I would watch on my phone if my data was unlimited. Um, look, I, I think whether you price unlimited or, or whatever you put in a bundle is just a marketing decision. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. What I would say is a pain point for me at the moment is when I run out of however many gig, 10, 15 gig of data, make that easy and don't make it feel like to buy that extra that I need to do my business for the month is, is I mean, it's so expensive compared to my plan data. Um, a little bit of is fine, but at the moment it feels way out of whack. So if I was solving a problem for the New Zealand consumer, it would be how you handle the, hey, Joe, you've used all your data for the month moment. Um, unlimited, look, it would appeal to me, but I think the telcos will understand the impact on data use. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I guess it's a little bit of a hard one to get right because the, the higher those things are, if you move to unlimited, then uh, that will that will create some challenges of its own. In the US, they seem to be doing things like uh, for your uh, streaming, they're limiting the the bandwidth that actually you can use or the quality of what you're streaming. Mm-hmm. So then that becomes a slightly degraded experience. And when they say unlimited, yes, it's unlimited, but if you hit a certain amount, then suddenly they sort of slow, slow you down, which doesn't really feel like unlimited. So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not quite perfection there. Um, I've heard people suggest that some of the offerings in the UK are much better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then people tell me, well, hey, we've got really great broad, mobile broadband speeds in New Zealand. So maybe that's, that's, that's the flip side. That's the trade-off. By keeping a bit of a cap on it, we get some, some better speeds. Um, now, Mobile World Congress in uh, in Spain, in Barcelona. Always lots and lots of things going on at Mobile World Congress. And it's a little bit hard from this end of the world to, um, to keep up with what's going on. But then you could say maybe it's easier because we just jump online and read, read all the headlines uh, connecting with... I'm catching up with someone uh, this evening uh, who's who's over there from uh, from San Francisco and it sounds like it's been absolutely hectic and uh, yeah, even before the official uh, Congress kicked off that there were media briefings and all sorts of events over about the you know, three, three days or so uh, prior. Um, few interesting headlines and some of these obviously getting picked up by by mainstream media um nokia back in the um in the phone game uh which is very curious to me that microsoft spent 
many billions of dollars buying uh, Nokia's uh, mobile division um, and uh, didn't actually keep the uh, the brand for very long at all. Uh, also, they left uh, some very nice assets in terms of the uh, the mapping assets, which ended up um, selling separately. But uh, there you go. I think uh, Microsoft really uh, messed that one up. But um, Nokia back in back in the game, uh, getting into some Android handsets and um, the resurrection of the old uh, Nokia thirty three ten. This is this, I love this because I feel like we're all just going back to the days when phones were phones and snake was played under the table <laughs> to pass the time and it was the best app you could ever own. Um, I think it's nice. I think it's quirky. I think people are buying it just for nostalgia. I mean, if you look at it, it's it's a very low function phone. It literally has a phone and it can do some sort of um, simple data tasks. But it, I th- I would buy this just to feel reminiscent of an era, a bygone era. Um, I don't think it's a very useful tool other than just being a phone. And I don't know who uses a phone anymore. I, I The number of times since smartphones arrived that I've thought, what I wouldn't give to go back to a phone where I could just text and call and I didn't get my emails stacked up on my screen. Um, so when I read this, I was pretty excited about it and, and you know, reliving my championship of snake days. But, <laughs> you know, actually, it just doesn't fit into my lifestyle now. I, I, t- I love the idea of it. I love the concept and the sort of the nostalgia value. But I just can't imagine this device sort of fitting in my pocket. The, the iPhone or the smartphone generally is so wedded into the way we do business now. It'll Look, it'll be interesting to see where they managed to find a market segment. Yeah, um, I, I guess it, maybe it just sort of falls in that retro thing. It's a you know gift you get for somebody or yeah. something you see at a supermarket aisle. It's you know they're talking about it being um, well probably something like seventy five eighty eighty dollars in New Zealand. So it's 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 actually quite expensive for what it is compared to the little dumb phones that you can buy. I think I've seen them as low as about $10. Yeah. Uh, but great marketing. I mean, it's worked. Zone. It's hit all the headlines. Yeah. People are talking about it. I think it's done what it was supposed to do. I'm not going to go out and buy one. In fact, I still have my old one. I might just bring that one back to life. Yeah. Um, 2.5G phones. So it's not actually going to work no. very well on no. most most networks. Even your coverage isn't very good. So yeah. if you think, oh, this will be good for emergencies it's when not, I want to be sort of sort of off grid from an email perspective and so on, but l- at least people will be able to call me, text me if they need to be able to. Well, two point five G is actually yeah. not going to be much use, certainly not in in, uh, in this country for that. So um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting maneuver. But, but I feel like the you know we, you go to the Mobile World Congress to look at new tech and see what's coming, and it's nice to look back. And I, I the other thing I thought was interesting there is BlackBerry are coming out with a new phone, their Key One, um, coming in at five hundred forty nine US dollars, and it's the same as all their other Blackberries. Like it, again, it just seems like a bla- they just seem to be living in the past of well we're going to have this keypad and it's going to be the way it always was and it's going to sort of do the same things and I do wonder if BlackBerry are ever going to come out with something that's actually novel and new or they're just going to stick with that older format and it becomes the the next sort of Nokia that is bought as a retro product rather than something that's more useful. Mm -hmm. I think though I mean the thing that worries me with the BlackBerry the key one is the price point less so the design so I think there's a that you can find people who'd love to sort of continue to use a keypad and I mean BlackBerry had was so popular almost because it wasn't touchscreen but I think at 549 US that's a that is a top tier product mm. that actually needs to be set at a price point 
I, I would think to, to be successful would need to be at a price point well below that to sort of attract the wanting a physical keyboard market. So I, I think there's probably still a market there, but I think it's way too expensive. It's probably I wouldn't have thought it was a very big big market either. Um, you know, maybe you've got a niche product you can sell not whatever price you like, but you can sell a little bit of a premium because there aren't too many too many other options. But yeah, how how big is that market? And uh, yeah, I. I I'm not particularly confident that they're going to sell a whole whole lot of these. And of course, the I think this is a similar situation to to Nokia, and that the the brand is licensed anyway, so it's mm-hmm. no longer uh, BlackBerry that are that are making it. And actually, when I double check on the uh, the Nokia one, um, that thirty three ten, it's not actually selling um, by Nokia. It's um, HMD who had acquired those uh, Nokia assets off off Microsoft, so it still does. Uh, tie in there, but of course Nokia have got uh, have got their own products coming to the market from an Android perspective mm-hmm. themselves. So um, it, it gets a bit confusing around brands these days, doesn't it? There's some of those older brands that you see around yeah. Kodak and Polaroid and so on, and the brand exists, but they're they're licensed all over town yeah. to whoever wants to pay to to put these brand names on their Absolutely. products. Um, so that it doesn't actually mean so much anymore. Um, now, other products, uh, Huawei have uh, announced their, uh, their 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 P10. I've got some details through from from uh, them on the email, and they're touting uh, a whole lot of different colours. And they're uh, they've done some sort of partnership with Pantone uh, there, who are who are the, the colour people. Uh, those in the design world will, will know about them. Um, I don't know how many of those variations are likely to get to a market like New Zealand because we're a small yeah. market. Yeah. It can look really good at a launch to say we've got all these amazing colours, but realistically, a small market like New Zealand, it would be uh, pretty difficult and challenging to have all of these different products coming into into the country. So I imagine we'll we'll get sort of the most popular, maybe two colours or something like that. But it makes me think here. about you know when you do. I mean, so the the P10 has been compared to be similar to the iPhone Seven and its design and how it looks actually there's a whole market out there which is accessorizing your phone and phone cases and being able to change color based on your whatever and so i wonder why they're trying to make a permanent color change and make you fixed one versus just creating a phone and then selling accessories or knowing there's an accessory market that allows people to sort of dress up their phone and do that so i thought it was an interesting choice to have lots of colors when a lot of the people i know who care about the color of the phone want options and so it would have been nice to see maybe a clip-out case or, or options that were changeable versus having to still commit to your Pantone color, whatever it is. As much as it would be nice to get you know, good brand standards alignment and get your exact Pantone color for your logo in the phone, I, I agree with Michelle. Um, look, actually, across the board, I think there are some interesting devices, but reading through the, the Mobile World Conference Congress sort of general output so far, I think it's, it's pretty sort of evolution, not revolution. I, I guess we're all looking for that next sort of jump in technology. And, and while there are some interesting announcements in the detail, and like we're all pretty passionate about, about the detail of these things, actually, I think it was all much of the same so far, at least in terms of what I've read. Yeah, I guess that's that's probably the case most of the time, isn't it? With mm-hmm. most of the technology announcements we hear, the large majority of them are just a, an incremental step up, and that's why these events aren't exciting as they once were when there were there were bigger steps between what we saw. We're seeing you know, usually a few incremental steps, and when somebody like Apple you know, last year re- released a waterproof phone, it's like, well, 
that's something we've seen from somebody else yeah. and there's, there's yeah. not these big revolutions coming through most of the yeah. time um, I think one of the things that I did re- that I did really think was a was a good move that we finally had it was the idea of optical zoom in our camera mm-hmm. lenses mm-hmm. and when Apple did that um, in the 7 plus that was the thing that sort of pushed me to say well that would be you know my preference of a device to carry from that convenience sure. and that benefit because I don't usually carry a big digital SLR mm-hmm. or what have you but I still would like some ability to zoom mm-hmm. but it was sort of just something to whet the appetite, I think, a little bit because, well, two times Zoom isn't really enough. Uh, so we've heard uh, today that um, Oppo or Oppo, I, th- I usually called them Oppo, but I think Oppo might actually be the correct uh, term, O-P-P-O, uh, Chinese company, um, have, um, well, they're not, they're not launching it just yet, but they've built a... Um, a, a telephoto they're calling it a telephoto lens uh, that is um, I guess operates a bit like a periscope so I think we've heard these varying ideas around what future lenses will be like in phones for a while uh, but there it sounds like they're they're getting pretty close to launching something which has got this lens which is sort of you know folded up inside the phone rather than adding too much uh, thickness to the phone um, they're talking about this uh, module that they've uh, produced being 5.7 millimeters thick. And now, curiously, all their media refers to it as five times dual camera zoom. Uh, but when you actually drill in to the details, uh, and it's not on this article from, from The Verge, but when I drilled into their press announcement, it was a three times optical zoom and then they were using some other techniques to supposedly deliver five times lossless. So um, I haven't quite got my head around that. I may need to read a little bit more. Michelle, you've seen anything on, on the Insights? I mean, it's all it's all just new info. So we it's don't just really new info the and they haven't right. aligned with a brand so we don't even know where we're going to see them or who's going to pick them up. It's nice to see so much hardware in such a small space and so while off phones can still get thinner and we can get more resolution um an optical zoom out that's, i guess that's a great thing and it pushes us i mean we all expect so much from our cameras now and i think a camera is a is a make or break when you're making a purchase actually it's one of the things we really look at because we're living in the selfie nation so um so i think it's good it would be interesting to actually see more reality and figure out who they're going to align with hmm. well the brand is in the process of launching in new zealand they just had a, a launch event in Sydney in the last few weeks so we will see their their phones but when one of them with this three times to five times mm. zoom arrives yeah not quite sure yet yeah look I'm, I'm excited personally I, I, I think the more we see the camera technology progressing the, the sort of the less depend well the better the camera in my pocket the more compelling the device I think so so bring it on I'm, I'm sure we'll see more of this from other players as well um, other things that we've uh, heard about, Mobile World Congress, uh, Huawei uh, launching their new Android Wear uh, watches, Android Wear 2.0, the new version that's just come out, uh, big, chunky, and fitness-focused was uh, one of the headlines that uh, that described them. Um, we've had uh, Samsung, of course, there's no new um, Galaxy S8 yet, but there's been, I think, already photos leaked and 
and uh, maybe it's an April date for March, April in New York for the launch. I really want, I don't know, I just feel like after this whole Note 7 thing, I just really want Samsung to come out with, you know, the next big thing. I just felt like they took a really hard blow. And, um, yeah, it'll be exciting to see what they do come out with and what it looks like. Yeah, well, they've got other things. They've been uh, announcing uh, tablets, which... Uh, look like a, another sort of variation on Microsoft Surface. Uh, they've got their, uh, so that'd be a you know, Windows 10-based uh, uh, tablet, keyboard, and so on. Um, a new Galaxy Tab um, S3, which uh, has, a, has a stylus. Um, what else was there? Oh, the other thing that I thought was quite curious from them was a stylus... Now, of course, we know that, that Apple's stylus is, is called the Apple Pencil, um, and it has a nice feel to it and so on, but it's it's a bit more technology. It looks a bit more like a piece of technology than a pencil. Uh, but Samsung have, uh, have done um, a partnership with... Now, excuse my pronunciation here. Um, actually, one of you can pronounce that. Probably better, <laughs> better than me. I'll step up Who's going to volunteer? I've always said Statler. <laughs> Yeah, um, and like you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that's how we say it. Thanks, Joe. Hey, I, I've got your back. So yeah. uh, Statler, um, who who we know from the from I don't know if anyone still uses pencils, but I remember them from school. I don't use a pencil so often these days, uh, but basically the stylus looks exactly like the old school. Uh, pencil. I don't know what will happen though if you put them into your pencil sharpener. It could cause a bit of a problem. Bad things. You don't, you Bad don't things want to get too mixed yeah. up there. That's probably the only downside of them looking too much like a pencil. <laughs> um, but so that 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 sounds good. Um, and nice to see form factor and design is still being including in these things. I mean, a lot of us use styluses and get frustrated with how chunky they feel. So it's nice to see that design and that you know holdability or whatever the word is is you know people are thinking about those things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it, uh, it's important that these things keep keep them keep improving, and uh, I guess for for anyone who does use a stylus quite regularly, it seems all of them have got little shortcomings. I, I think I broke Apple Pencil recently. Um, I don't know how many times I've lost a, uh, a pen from Microsoft Surface, <laughs> or just the batteries have one. run flat, <laughs> or 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 you know, there's all these these little. Uh, annoyances sometimes actually the the old school of of just a, a, a traditional pen or pencil actually is is great um, and I'm sure Michelle you would know the story about uh, the Russians versus the Americans and uh, what they took into space that'd be your area wouldn't wouldn't it do you know this one, well, so Joe? I, I, and, and not only do I know it, but I know that it's also an urban myth. Really? Right, so let's spend oh, 30 fantastic. seconds on I wanna, this. Right? I, want, I want to get uh, get the real story right, on so it. He, so, so here we go. And um, so originally the story goes that uh, the Americans spent you know millions and millions of dollars uh, developing a, a pen that would write in zero gravity so the ink would flow, uh, and the Russians just took a pencil. And, and it's normally a story about simplicity and sort of seeing past the problem. The yeah. truth is... Um, you can't take a pencil to space because when the graphite tip breaks off and flies in zero gravity around your spacecraft cockpit, it hits electrical circuits and shorts them out. Um, so hence the investment in pens that write in zero gravity. So it's a nice story. But, um, it was look, such a cool story. I know, I'm I sorry did, to ruin it for you. I did give it a but, little bit of thought around that when it popped up in a discussion yeah. recently. And I did, did wonder if this was actually going to, you know, if there were some downsides to it. So it was actually just completely false. Completely false. 
Yeah. Oh, and okay. I thought those Russians were so smart. <laughs> Look, I'm sure they are. Um, but but it's nice to dispel some of these sort of quips that are out there. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, lots of lots of other news from Mobile World Congress, and with you know, especially if you're a, a smartphone fan, worth getting online um, and having a little bit of a look at, at some of those things. Uh, Sony, who uh, launched their Xperia XZ uh, sort of late last year, was you know quite a nice smartphone. Um, they're taking that up a notch with the premium uh, model. They've just announced with. Um, uh, new Snapdragon 835 chipset, uh, 4K HDR screen, so super high definition uh, screen to actually be squeezing into your pocket. Uh, there's also from Sony a uh, a projector built into um, an Android device that basically allows you to turn any surface into into a touch screen. I think that's pretty cool technology. We've seen some variations on that in the last few years with software and bits and pieces and ways to uh to turn a projector into a touchscreen but none of them have been absolutely superb so i wonder how good this will be i think it's seriously cool i'm really looking forward to getting hands-on and actually finding out how usable it is but it excites me um what do you think shell Oh, it really excites me, and it's sort of a trend I've been seeing a lot in some of the, I guess, futurist conferences from tech companies talking about, you know, one of the challenges we have with our smartphones is, is battery life. It always is, and there's, we've seen when you really try and push lithium-ion technology, Samsung Galaxy Note happens, and, you know, they're pretty high-tech in a small space, and, you know, they are explosive at some points. And so how do you get um, longevity out of your device without draining down the battery and, and the biggest thing that drains your battery is the screen and so if you can remove the screen and not have to backlight it and and do different things then I've seen a lot of mobile um, manufacturers and, and hardware designers talk about the next generation of mobile devices are actually not going to have screens um, which I think is a total revolution but probably the next logical step if you can just beam your screen onto a surface onto your hand, onto your wrist um, and use you know light interference to figure out when you're touching that pattern or touching the screen wherever it's projected. Um, now you have the capacity to actually have really long battery life because you're not having to power it up all the time. And and you know looking at Mobile World Congress is great, but I'm not seeing the next big jump. And I think this may be the sort of the jump of things to come. If we can do this in this Android device, we can do this at the big scale. Can we start doing this? And is your next smartphone going to be on your wrist and actually you just project the screen? Yeah, it's, I find it quite hard to um, to really put a finger on what exactly what those next things are going to look like. What's going to what's actually going to click? What's going to be practical? How do they uh, how do they solve the the issues and challenges we have today? And I guess a lot of that just comes down to the pure science of being able to um, figure these things out and come up with with smart mm-hmm. solutions, which which takes a fair bit of time and research. Usually, it's yeah, it can be beavering away in the background for many years, right? Mm-hmm. And we're still using touch and reading a lot. And um, having just spent some time with um, Soul Machines and Baby X, the virtual and emotionally intelligent avatar, and um, being built out um, in Auckland. I'm realizing how much more voice technology is going to be used around our devices. And, and again, we go back to screens, but maybe we're too dependent on visually just looking at the static or a static dynamic image instead of actually using voice control and, and having things play back to us. So I think there's a lot of change to come. I think we're really at that sort of tipping point of wanting so much more. But the only way to do that is hardware really has to change. Mm. 
Now, talking of uh, of hardware, um, a little uh, hardware company out of Silicon Valley that has not uh, officially sold their product in New Zealand before uh, launched last week, Tesla, and delivered their first eight little mobile devices. Well, quite large <laughs> mobile devices, actually. Um, Probably the smallest of the devices that you know comes under the Elon products. <laughs> yes, yes. So. Um, yeah, eight model um, Model S uh, vehicles were delivered to, to customers. There are other ones that have uh, they ordered around the time they started taking uh, online orders late last year. Uh, that will be will be delivered over the over the next month or two. Uh, but I think it's pretty pretty exciting that we've now we we are in the fold as it were because uh, in the past you had to well you still have to have a a, a pretty large wallet to order a Tesla, uh, but it's a whole lot easier when uh, you don't have to order it in another country and get it get it shipped here. Well, look, I would say if you're a Tesla owner here already, and we have some of our you know, people who can afford it, brought them in from Australia and, and have them here, just the fact that you'll be able to get that vehicle serviced and cared for here and you know, fixed when it goes wrong will mean a lot. Uh, look, I'm with you. I think it's really exciting that they're here. Um, they're not a product that's in reach for most people yet. But just, look, I know, I know from some research that I've been involved with that there are real trends towards sort of the electric vehicles and reducing environmental emissions. You know, business purchasers particularly know that that stuff that's, you know, it's coming, it's becoming more relevant for them. I think having Tesla in the market here can only be a good thing. Um, but sort of $200,000 price tags, I mean, these are not vehicles for, for everybody, um, but they are pretty cool products. They're pretty cool products. And, they're, they're, you know, they're super smart with their technology. Um, so I think it's really interesting. I think that um, it's sad that New Zealand has had to wait so long to sort of get on Tesla's radar and be considered, a, I guess, an important country in this, especially because we have so much technology and our electricity is provided through mostly sustainable means. I actually think there was a real scope here to highlight how it's not just about the car, but it's about where your energy comes from. And we have a great New Zealand story here, so I'm sort of sad we didn't have that before. But to be honest, we haven't had the infrastructure um, in place. We haven't had the charging stations until very recently. And so I think that, you know, they're sort of catching up. They're saying, okay, now we have charging stations. We'll bring the cars as opposed to we'll bring the cars and hopefully we'll be... It's that chicken and egg situation. So I'm glad they're here. High price point, of course. But, you know, it starts people having the conversation around electric vehicles. And, and when the Model 3 arrives, you know, their affordable model and is actually in mass production, then I think that starts really changing that conversation. Uh, I did. I had a look last year. Tesla sold 24 vehicles in New Zealand. That's like pretty well the same as Lamborghini or McLaren. Um, Porsche, you have some vehicles at that price point, sold 460. Hmm. So there's definitely scope for them to grow some market share here. Um, it'll be worth them coming, I'm sure. But really, I'm excited about the battery technologies. They've partnered with Vector here for a while now, bringing that into homes. So what it does for us on a sustainability and, and pushing us technologically, uh, I think that's healthy stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, those who are who are interested in this, if they uh, have a look on faith on, um, I've got a video up on my website at paulspain.com, uh, also facebook.com slash paulspain. Uh, we shot a couple of videos, about three different videos uh, last week. We're just having a little bit of a, a play, including in the P100D and uh, trying out, uh, I was going to call it, insane mode but it's actually ludicrous mode <laughs> uh, and these things go like the clappers uh, with that top model you get from uh, 0 to 100 in somewhere around 2.6 2.7 seconds and um, 
Yes, it's quite it's quite amusing the impact on the passengers. It's actually a little bit easier from the driver's seat when when you know what's going to happen and and when. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the um, yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting hearing the feedback from uh, passengers. So a lot of fun. Uh, the nice thing with Tesla is it won't be too far off. We're going to have a uh, a, a retail outlet and service centre uh, actually very close to where we are here, just on uh, Karanga Happy Road in in Auckland. And uh, you'll be able to jump in and actually try one out if uh, if you're uh, so inclined. Um, two other things that I thought we should talk about, I guess, closely aligned with Tesla, um, is SpaceX, Elon Musk's uh, other uh, thing that he's uh, famous for. And we've just heard today that SpaceX are off to the moon next next year, supposedly. Uh, I mean, this just seems incredible <laughs> to me. The pace at which we're seeing uh, innovation happen now in in uh, the world of, of space travel, particularly sort of you know the the private um, sector and uh, and and just what's um, what's happening there. Yeah, and also interesting to see the funding model now of, of space research and technologies. Um, we used to always look at NASA and it was government funded. And, and since that pocket has sort of dried up, what are the options? And I saw a really great headline today, which says something like, two rich people fund, you know, trip to the moon. And that that's kind of what we're relying on. We're relying on yeah. those who have the money to want to buy an experience. And that whole experience therefore funds basically the development of a new technology. And, and in, in the research field where funding is really tight it's great i guess that there are people who have the money who can actually invest in helping new technologies to develop which will only then go on to help other technologies Mm -hmm. there's absolutely opportunity we're seeing with virgin galactic and and spacex for that sort of commercialization of space and and the ability to launch satellites the ability to get to the space station Um, i i really applaud the the sort of the government private funding models and and Mm. diversity that we're seeing in that field now yeah um I just think like all of that's great, but how cool is it to be going to the moon again? Um, you know, these guys are going to launch in a, in a what's it? The Falcon Heavy is two thirds the size of the Saturn V that took the Apollo astronauts to the moon in the sixties and seventies. They're going to launch from the same pad and, and go around the back of the moon, like actually sitting in a capsule. Um, yeah, that, that's priceless. I mean, it's just it's just so exciting that that's happening, and I think is bringing that that lens of excitement and inspiration squarely back into space travel. I think it's brilliant. I yeah. wish I could go. It, it's really cool, but it is also a little bit weird to think of, hey, you know, man first went to the moon, 1969, all these years on, you know, no one has been there for, for decades, and we're just, it's kind of like we're in doing a, some sort of a replay, and, you know, shouldn't we be so much further? Well, you go back, right, and you, you look at sort of where the projections were. So the equivalent of people having this conversation in... 69 for instance all projected like a manned base on the moon and all of this stuff happening and actually we said you know what we've done that bring our funding priorities closer to home and, and i think you, actually that we've got enough problems to solve here at home but there's more involved in say, space exploration and driving technology inspiring us um now that there's this private funding model and it's not straight out of the taxpayer's pocket i think we're we're actually starting to look at the possibilities again and uh, yeah i think building your playlist for the dark side of the moon that would be a pretty cool <laughs> challenge. I, I, I think you could spend some time on that. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, do you want to travel in space? Is this come is with this? me? Oh, um, I well, I don't know. We just we were literally just out at um, 
the Launchpad 39A a couple of weeks ago, and so I was sort of in that space mood anyway. Um, would I like to go to space? I I I would not say no if I got if I knew I was coming back. I mean, I still have things to do on Earth, so um, <laughs> if it was if it was a return trip versus a one way, I think so you I'd don't want a one way ticket to Mars or anything quite. No, like that. I'm not. I'm not ready. I just think there's a lot to be done here. Um, so no, I'm quite happy sort of sticking on Earth. I mean, I would love to if I did anything. I'd love to do some um, Virgin Galactic. Um, voyages to be able to do some science experiments sort of in low earth orbit and sort of see how microgravity affects things and one of my research fields is around osteoporosis and we know that um, bone loading for example is a huge has a huge impact on on astronauts when they go out there because our bones um, and our osteoblasts and osteoclasts they grow through what's called mechanotransduction so you need loading exercises you need to have weight on your bones for them to grow otherwise they resorb and you get very brittle bones so I think I'd much rather carry on what I'm doing in my research and be able to do that um in microgravity environments so no i think i'd pick uh, virgin galactic over spacex what, what i would say if either of us are going to space having visited kennedy together recently at kennedy they have a shuttle landing simulator so you get on a computer and you try and land like glide the shuttle back into the into the into the runway there and did, based did on you survive based on both of our performance <laughs> if we do get to go to space there's some practice to be done for both <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we got some AI now that's going to help artificial intelligence? You would hope so. All I'm going to say is we, we would need it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would need it. Um, yeah. Um, now, on another front, talking about um, advanced gadgetry, Boston Dynamics, which uh, was under Google's realm for a while, but I think they, um, they their ownership has has changed again. But you know, we know them from. Uh, Big dog robots, uh, giraffe robot, whole whole uh, whole bunch. Um, but the latest one they've been sharing some footage on changes things in an interesting manner. So, I mean, first of all, we had these very scary uh, animal-like objects with with legs that could move at a real pace, um, mostly tethered to something. So there were big cords running off them uh, for power very uh, noisy I don't know maybe diesel engines and so on Uh, but the newer iterations of their robots are starting to look um, slicker still pretty scary Uh, but the the legs are still there but they put um, it's like putting roller skates onto them they've got they've got wheels but with incredible control uh, and some of these videos that are online are—it's um, just actually stunning to watch them, isn't it? It's stunning and petrifying all at the same. Everything <laughs> I see from from um, these guys, Boston Dynamics, is fascinating but frightening. When you see the technologies they have, when you see almost how lifelike some of their robots are, how quick they can move, and the so I always thought if I was running away from some killer robot, it'd be fine because I would just go down the stairs because you know in all the <laughs> movies. Trick. Yeah. The, <laughs> the stairs are what get them and then you see this boston dynamics new robot handle not only doesn't mind stairs but can jump four feet like from standing and so you're like actually this is not going to work i'm gonna have to think of a new way to escape this um so really interesting technology the way that they can stabilize in multi-directions it's gonna now go nine miles an hour it's six foot five tall which um is pretty tall this is the only time that actually i have somebody sitting next to his taller than that because joe is six foot eight but it's you know <laughs> tall from a human point of view i can't run at nine miles an hour or do the parkour <laughs> thing this robot's doing that and it so. lasts for 15 hours and so it really has opened up the world of robotics and what we can do and where we can take them 
the and I haven't I haven't had a close look at uh, Boston Dynamics funding lately, but my recollection is around military funding. Um, so it's uh, the whole when, you know when you look at these things, I think it is natural to just have a little bit of fear and con- fear and concern. Yep, and I think that, you know, as Trump has come in, I think there's only going to be more military funding coming into the U.S. system rather than less. So it's going yeah. to be really interesting to see what these guys can do while, while there's money in the pot. Now, one thing that we would be remiss not to mention before we wrap up this episode is um, what you've been doing in the podcast studio uh, recently, Michelle. Yeah, so uh, I usually come in for tech podcasts, but um, actually I've been starting a podcast of my own, which has been super fun and super exciting. So I have a new podcast coming out called Stupid Questions for Scientists, um, and basically we take a scientist and a comedian and myself in a room, and we chat about some of the big questions that people always want to ask. We're covering some pretty interesting topics, everything from climate change to infectious diseases to um, which is the smartest animal in the animal kingdom and how do we know and how do we measure um, and it's a pretty relaxed almost like you've got three friends sitting on a couch but we're talking about really technical things in a non-technical way so we'll be um, launching on March 20th I'm very excited um, series one is about ready to go so if you like it stupidquestionsforscientists.com subscribe and we'll send you our first episode yeah so yeah if you subscribe online get the details of the launch and we're going to give away some tickets, a few tickets to the launch, the, the VIP are. launch party. Run a, with yeah, there's a very special VIP launch party happening on March 20th, and we will have a few tickets available in a competition, so you can actually be with some cool people in the crowd. That will be a lot of fun. And who are you recording with on the night? Because it's going to be a live episode there, right? We will, and we have Di Hemwood and Dr. Heather um, Hendrickson on the night to do a live podcast about viruses and fecal transplants and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Yes, I did say fecal transplants. It sounds (laughs) gross. It's a little bit like eating poo, but it may save your life. (laughs) Well, on that note, um, I think that's us for this week. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Uh, Michelle, where do people track you down online? Uh, you can find me online. Just search Google NanoGirl. You'll find me everywhere, pretty much. Yeah, yeah look, likewise, just follow us at nanogirllabs.com and all the NanoGirl social media. That's excellent. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been fun to catch up today, and um, we'll look forward to the next time and looking forward to the launch of Stupid Questions for Scientists. Hooray. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.